Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons only on The Horn. To the sports complex here on August 8th. Time to get into some sports stories for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Cowboys. Zach Martin still holding out. Mike McCarthy talked to the press yesterday. We got some sound from that. We'll talk a little bit about the Texans. Of course, Patrick's big fat poll of the day. We got a new one for you today in the results of yesterday's. Uh, we're going to play you a little clip from earlier in the on the horn. E and Rodby talked to Peter Futuk. From College Football News, uh, we'll replay that interview, and uh, we'll get into uh, some stories about realignment, Steve Sarkeesian talking some Texas football, give you a little bit more reason to drink some Kool-Aid if you're a Longhorns fan. And then, of course, the Rangers and Astros both playing, both in action tonight. The Astros begin their series with the Orioles. The Rangers get a win last night against Oakland we got last call coming up later on the show as well. Of course, you are a bigger part of the show, so we want you to join us on the Specs text line. 512-337-3776 is how to join the conversation with us here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, I want to thank, first of all, let me actually, you know what? Thanks to friends over at uh, Bender Bar last night. Went over last night to celebrate one show done. One out of many to come. Uh, and hung out with some friends, and uh, and then we turned into the dorkiest guys at the bar uh, because, of course, by the end of it, you get a few drinks in, and then we were doing mock drafts at the end of a bar. Uh, I don't know if that's the most pathetic thing I've done in a bar. It's it's the most pathetic thing I've done in a bar recently. I can give you that. I've probably done something dumber and more pathetic in my youth. But, uh, but yeah, now just getting older and sitting at the end of a bar – just uh, drinking, doing shots, and mock drafting, and then and then the worst part is over passing the phones around with the who we drafted, and critiquing each other's mock draft abilities. Uh, getting ready for fantasy football season, it is uh, it's a sad life. It's a sad life. Uh, something else that is sad: the Dallas Cowboys and Zach Martin are continuing their holdouts. Uh, Zach Martin is now, I believe, at six hundred thousand dollars. That's five hundred thousand dollars a day that Zach Martin is having to pay five hundred fifty thousand dollars a day. Sorry, fifty thousand dollars a day that he is for every day he misses of his uh, training camp out of holdout. Uh, Jerry Jones has been pretty vocal on this so far. He, he came out originally thought it wouldn't be a problem. Apparently, Zach Martin was not willing to budge as much as Jerry Jones thought he was. Uh, first, Jerry Jones quote was, "You have to real you have, you realize that not having him here it could happen." Via injury on the next play, Jones said. So you've got to put that one on and say you just move on here without him. Not confidence inspiring to basically say, "Hey, uh, you know, you know, he he may not even be here anyway. You know, it, it's completely preventable. We we could reach an agreement. We, you know, we, this this doesn't seem to be this is an injury. This is a much more fixable problem. But no, we're going to treat it like that. And uh, when he was asked if he was surprised, uh. That, that Zach Martin is continuing to hold out. He said, not really, not really. Surprise is really not the word there. It's very costly. And so that's that's where we are. Huge, significant ramifications by anybody's math. I don't know if he's trying to talk to Zach Martin or if he's trying to scare the rest of us. Because $50,000 a day, that's, that's a lot of, that's scary to all of us. And I'm sure it's scary to Zach Martin as well. And I'm, 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 I'm guessing it's not helping negotiations. I'm guessing there is no love lost when you're continuing to be fined. And these are not 
once you have these fines, once you start putting these fines out, there is no, you can't go, ah, uh, you know what, we agreed to terms and now uh, we're not going to find you. You can try and put something back into his contract. You can try and make it up when you if you renegotiate a deal. But if you don't renegotiate a deal and he just shows back up, he's out that money. There, there is no other way of doing this. There, the, the NFL has made it on purpose to not allow players to hold out and think that, okay, well, if I show up, I'll get leniency. There's, a, there's no leniency in this one. This becomes even worse when you see that Tyler Biotish leaves practice today with an injury. I haven't seen an update on that one yet. If you have one, send us in on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. But we haven't seen a, uh, an update on Tyler Biotish, but he leaves today in practice. Uh, we know that Zach Martin is not showing up. We know that, you know, you have Tyler Smith, who who had a pretty good season last year. Uh, you have Tyron Smith, who was injured a lot of last year, is getting older. And this O-line, this O-line is going from something that seemed like it wasn't going to be a problem. That seemed like, okay, you draft Tyler Smith last year, that kind of fixed the hole. Terrence Steele is going to be coming back. He's going to be playing better after surgery. He's starting to feel better. You have Tyler Biotish, who's a pro bowler. You have Tyron Smith, who's who's an amazing left tackle. There's a lot you can be have going on in this team. And you know what? I think that this O-line going forward is going to be a strength, a strength of this Cowboys offense. And what we have begun to see is that not only is it not a strength of the Cowboys offense right now, it is starting to be one of the pieces that is adding on to the many problems of a Cowboys offense that you want to go into training camp drinking Kool-Aid and everything I keep seeing out of the Cowboys training camp is making me not – this is – it's not even flavor aid. This is unsweetened tea at best. Mike McCarthy was talking to the press. He mentioned – he wanted to talk a little bit about the O-line. He was asked about how he views the O-line – with injuries, with Doug, uh, Zach Martin not being there, here's Mike McCarthy talking about his view of the O-line in training camp. How would you view them? Um, I would say that the, the experience that we're getting our guys is great. Um, and, you know, the line movement is is excessive, which is awesome for us you know because you know we play we're playing against a defensive front that that moves a lot and has all the different combinations and that's one thing in training camp as an offensive unit offensive protection you you can't get enough of so uh the results you know i, I wouldn't you know I, I i think you can always get into the results you know leaning towards the defense particular this time of year particularly with the second the second group of offensive linemen but you know a, a would be experience you know um Unfortunately, we you know we have a lot of different combinations, so that's fortunate for young players. You know, not as you know, not probably where you're. You know, you always like to be, you know, a week or two from now, set on your starting five. So you know, we're we're still a ways from that. Um, but uh, I do I do like the experience that that our offensive line unit is getting. You know, that the run blocking is 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 okay. I mean, we're doing a good job. You can see our double teams are starting to get tighter and things like that. You know, we got to we got to be a little better on the backside backside. So. Uh, the run, the run blocking's coming, you know, but the pass protection, uh, this, this is great, great work for us. And in frankly, it's part of the reason why I felt very confident in our training here in Oxnard and didn't have to go, you know, I, I didn't feel the need to go practice against somebody else because, you know, our, 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 our line work is, is exceptional in my view. Yeah, that, I don't think that was a very confidence-inspiring uh, statement from Mike McCarthy because it seemed like, he basically spent the first 50 seconds of that clip talking about, yeah, you know, we things are not great, and, you know, they're, they're progressing, but, you know, the double teams are still getting through. And, and you know, we got really good defense. We got really good defense. So it's hard to tell uh, that our O-line, but we're getting the best work because our defense is really good. So, but, you know, once, once we play another defense, we'll be able to tell better because – it's really the problem is our defense is so good. That's why our O-line doesn't look good. And then he slips in. That's why they didn't want to scrimmage. They don't want to scrimmage because our defense is so good. Like, we don't want to do that. And, and maybe that's true. Or maybe, maybe they don't want to scrimmage because they know they're not ready to play anybody yet. They're not ready to put their best out there. That 
they're worried that without Zach Martin, with some injuries on that O-line, that, that the O-line's not there, that we know the running game, that the running game for this for this Cowboys team, you have a Tony Pollard coming back from a major injury, a rookie in Deuce Vaughn. Ronald Jones is not there. He's he's going to be suspended the first two games of the season. He's not even there right now for camp. He missed practice today. So what are you going to be able to do with the running game if you don't have an O-line that is able to protect? You don't have an O-line that's able to open up any holes, run any schemes, do anything like that. If you don't have that O-line, and then you're trying to stick a running back that works really, really good in space, but he may not get that space because he's not getting the blocking he needs to get. So now we say we have a running back who needs space and can't get it, so he's not able to make his big plays. Then we get back into what's worrying about Dak Prescott, that Dak Prescott struggles on third and longs. When he gets put behind the marker and when he has to make a big throw to continue the, the series, that is where we see him start to get in trouble more and more. And that's when his interception rates go up. And, yes, last year was an anomaly of how many interceptions he threw. But going into this new season, if we say the O-line doesn't come to a resolution, that Zach Martin does not return to this Cowboys team, that Tyler Biotish has to miss some time because of injury, because Terrence Steele is coming back. Tyron Smith is, is, is aging. If you worry about the little holes popping up on this, this defense, and the holes are not holes they're opening for offensive for running backs. The holes are glaring holes that any defense can attack. And then you say, well, what we want to do is get the ball downfield to C.D. Lamb and to Brandon Cooks. And to, and to Michael Gallup. That's what we want to do. We want to get the ball downfield. We know CeeDee Lamb came out earlier and said, y'all better watch out for that deep ball. Dak's throwing him deep. Well, if you don't have a running game, and you don't have an O-line, and all these things that you kind of thought were there but you didn't want to invest in, that you decided Dan Quinn's a much better salesman to Jerry Jones. I think we can all see that. That Dan Quinn is selling, I need this player, I need this money for this player. I need this, I need this, and I'm going to give you the best defense in the league. And Dan Quinn, I'll give him credit, I think he can put together the best defense in the league. He's drafted well. We know Mozzie Smith is dealing with an injury now as well. Hopefully nothing major uh, for him, as well as Tyler Biotish. I don't want to you know, wish any ill on either one of them. Hopefully they're both minor injuries. Uh, Mozzie Smith, I believe, uh, they're doing a, a precursory MRI, uh, basically a precautionary MRI, to check out, see if there's any damage because he's been dealing with tendonitis in his knee. Not something you really want to hear about a rookie, but hopefully something they'll be able to figure out uh, a treatment plan for and something going forward for for Mozzie Smith because he is going to be a big part of this defense if he can draw double teams. And if he can not even draw double teams, but uh, basically take up two people, what a great defensive tackle can do which is push his way and take two two offensive linemen out of the equation, opening it up for a linebacker to come inside or opening up for a D-end, an edge rusher to get in there. I You hope that that's what Mozzie Smith is going to be able to do this season. Back to Zach Martin, back to this whole line When you see Tyler Biotis go down, and hopefully not a major injury, and you see that Terrence Steele is coming off an injury, you know Tyron Smith had one last year, you have a, a sophomore season now in Tyler Smith. For Jerry Jones, I don't know as much as Zach Martin doesn't have any doesn't have any real leverage in this negotiation because he was the highest paid le- right guard, he's the highest paid offensive guard in football when he gets his six year eighty four million dollar contract. Now the contract gets reset last year or two years ago, and now he now he wants to get back into it. And the real problem is, when you look at his contract, is not. I don't think if he had not restructured this deal and been given some more cash and, and gotten a little bit more signing bonuses and been able to spread things around and work with the team and renegotiate and re and restructure this contract, uh, I believe four different times, he has a restructure bonus of eleven point eight million dollars on this contract. 
if you say, well, he's got all these bonuses for re- for restructuring and working for the team, and now he wants more on top of that, Jerry says, man, we've we've done this. We've we've reworked your contract four different times. You've helped us out. We appreciate it, but every time we do it, we have a mutual understanding that you're going to get something back from us. You will get something back that that we need to give to you, right? We we need to give you some straight money. We're just going to give you some money right now. Write a check. You'll get that money instead of a salary. You can go off, buy your house, buy what, buy some cars, buy, put your money and invest it. You can grow your own money. You can do all of those things. But when you come back and you now want to restructure the deal another time, but basically just for yourself, I think Jerry Jones in a position knowing that next season his cap hit and his restructure going into 2024 is starting to look pretty bad. And he's supposed to be having a $23 million cap hit next season. So if you put more money on top of that, that's pretty painful. And he's already got a restructure cap hit of $10 million in 2025 and $5 million in 2026. Now how much more money are we putting on that? And how much more money am I guaranteeing to pay you over these years? And at what point is it you're just taking advantage? And again, you may be the best right guard in in the game right now. John, Madden does. Madden thinks you are. The Madden Raiders think you're the best right guard in the game right now. They think you're the best offensive guard in the game right now. One of the best offensive linemen in the game right now is what Madden says, giving you a 99 rating. But as much as I've made fun of Jerry Jones in the past for being a guy who looks at Madden ratings and that's the reason he wants to sign you, this is not the case for Zach Martin right now. I don't know where the bad blood is coming from, but it seems to be something important and it is something that the Cowboys really need to find out about because we talk about the offensive line not being there. We talk about not maybe being able to get the running game because you only have a Tony Pollard who we don't know if he can be the bruiser and get in there if guys are getting penetration. Is he going to be able to break tackles in the backfield if the O-line is not able to hold on some of these some of these pass plays and on an RPO or on, on a, a draw play or on something where you're trying to do something sneaky – how many times is he going to be able to break those tackles? And then you look over the tight end position and the fact that the Cowboys have lost Dalton Schultz. They were not able to keep him. They franchise tag him last year. They can't do it again this year. He goes to Houston. But they don't now have – they have Jake Ferguson. Schoonmaker is now a practice. They've got some guys they're working on. But do we have a tight end in Dallas that can – make Dallas Cowboys fans comfortable and can be a real security blanket for those times when the O-line breaks down this season. For the times that Dak Prescott is under pressure, do they have that tight end? Here's Mike McCarthy on the tight ends at practice yesterday. Yeah, I, I think the tight end position, I mean, if you just look at the history of the passing game and you know, going back to the early days of the West Coast offense, I mean, the, the tight end throws start right here. So the completion percentage, the connection that you know every every quarterback has with his tight end, I mean, you look at throughout the history of, you know, just look at the, our current league and look at some of these quarterback tight end relationships and how productive they are, you know, and, and the ability to be on the same page because, you know, they're tighter windows, and but they're also shorter throws, you know, bigger targets and uh, we really like our group, and you know I think they all have something to offer. Does it have to be one guy, or can, or is there a tight end by committee kind of? Well, I, I just you know just look at the youth of our room. I think it's clear on on what our approach will be, and it's will be important for you know really the offense and defense as far as moving forward. I mean you know we got some young rooms that guys need to play play a lot this preseason. So in the tight end rooms is, is one I'm excited to see go play. So he can't really answer the question there at the end of, all right, do you have a guy? Is there a tight end? Do you have your guy? Can't answer that question. Says, uh, well, you know, it's one of those rooms. It's one of those rooms like many. In preseason, we're going to have to play a lot of guys. And, And hoping, basically, that his problem is solved. And it goes to what I feel Mike McCarthy has in common with Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones has gotten slightly better with this. But Mike McCarthy is in the same camp now when they talk about the kicker and the press availability, when they talk about tight end, and when you talk about Zach Martin, and when you talk about all these things, everything kind of comes back to, oh, we hope this works. We don't really have a contingency plan if it doesn't, but we hope this works this season. 
We hope. We hope that we find a good kicker and he plays well for us. We hope that our running back comes back this year and is is healthy and can play a full season and can get all the snaps. We hope that Zach Martin stops holding out. We hope that we find a tight end and we have a tight end rotation that can go out there and play. And we hope that Dak Prescott can take that next step in his his progression. Dan Quinn's not a hope guy. Dan Quinn is going out. He is finding the pieces that he needs to get. He has improved the depth. He says, we. I, I don't hope that, we, that boss man Fats becomes a better cornerback over the offseason. I don't hope that we find another solution at the other side of defensive back. No, no. We go out and we trade for – we get Gilmore. We go get a guy, and I don't have to hope anymore. There's no hope anymore. We're there, and and I think Jerry's getting better. You get the Brandon Cooks deal, and it's a good deal. They they paid a lot of money. They The Texans played a lot of money that, that was owed left. It's a great deal for the Cowboys to get Brandon Cooks in there, and that's in the right move. We're not hoping that Michael Gallup returns to form like you did last year, and he didn't. You're not hoping for that anymore. And the more you see of what's happening with this offense in Dallas versus this defense, the more I'm inclined to believe that Mike McCarthy will not finish the season as a Dallas Cowboys head coach. Taking over play calling seems like it's a last-ditch effort. Taking over the play calling seems like it is the the last straw to save his hide when went to when going to Jerry Jones and saying why didn't it happen. And when he was asked, "Well, do you have regrets about last year's play calling?" I mean, you you got rid of Kellen Moore. You you decided to part ways with Kellen Moore. So clearly, there were some things you didn't like. Were there regrets that you didn't, you know, you didn't step in or were there regrets because you clearly you're saying that you needed to call plays because Kellen Moore wasn't getting the job done. That's what you're telling me. And his response wasn't exactly full force that he says, oh, no, we have things we want to change. And I get you're not going to come out and say, hey, yeah, no, no, we're, we're not going to do the We're not going to try these little uh, gimmickier plays. We don't want to you know, waste so much time. You don't want to give away what your game plan is. I get that. But I also don't necessarily like this answer either. Here's uh, Mike McCarthy at practice yesterday when he was asked about any regrets in the play calling last season. I, no, not really. Cause you you remember, I was, I, was, I was still involved. I, I think it's like anything. I mean, as an, a, an assistant to the play caller, which, which is the role you're in, regardless of your title, you know, you know, one guy gets the call on offense, you know, one guy gets called on defense and, you know, and then there's a level of you know, responsibility on special teams, you know, based on, you know, how you, how you're designed on, on game day. So, uh, trust me, I, I know what it's like to be in that seat. Um, no two people never call the game the same. Yeah. So I, I, I never felt, I never felt like that because a lot of, a lot of things in play calling is, you know, the direction that you go during the course of a game. So, um, and, you know, with that, I, I, you know, I, was, I was comfortable with the way the games were called. He was comfortable with the, ga- the way the games were called, but we had to get rid of Kellen Moore. Our O-line is not where it needs to be, but I'm impressed with them. You know, our tight ends, uh, we're not there yet. We're going to need some help, but I'm excited to watch him play. It sounds like there's a lot of hope without a lot of solutions on this offense. I'm not worried about the defense. I'm not worried about Dan Quinn. But this Cowboys offense is just, I I don't know if you're going to be able to use the weapons that you have without shooting yourself in the foot first because you didn't prepare for inevitabilities. Jerry Jones, when he said earlier, well, you could have lost – Zach Martin because of injury. So you just have to you just have to go on and, and figure out what you're gonna do. Well, what were you gonna do? What was your plan if any of these offensive linemen go down with injury? Did you have a contingency plan? Were you ready? Because it doesn't seem like you are, because the reports are not positive about what's happening with a lot of this O line and, and how the offense is flowing in, in at training camp. We keep getting reports of how many interceptions Dak Prescott's throwing, and I get it's training camp. I don't think he'll throw as many interceptions in game. Dan Quinn, no, like Dan Quinn teaches his defense really well. They know what's happening on the offensive plays. They they've seen what what Dak Prescott and the plays are running. It's easy to jump them, and if you have a guy like Trayvon Diggs and some of these other ball hawks out there, they, they'll be fine. 
I'm just not sold on Mike McCarthy being able to be the guy to rally the troops when you have a player who's one of your best O-linemen who's not showing up, when you have several players returning from injury that you were expecting to be top-level players, even though we saw last year when you were expecting Michael Gallup to step up and be that number two receiver coming off of injury, and he just couldn't hack it all year. And hopefully he'll be better this year. He'll go back into being that three slot. Hopefully he will be better. I don't know. I'm not sold on this Cowboys offense. Uh, I will tell you, I, we did get some notes here from the Texans. We'll scoot over to the Texans for a minute. Uh, the Texans did release their unofficial depth chart. They play the Thursday game, so they're one of the first teams uh, to put out their depth chart. We heard the news yesterday that C.J. Stroud is going to be the starter uh, uh, against the Patriots on Thursday. Uh, some other notes. Uh, at wide receiver on the unofficial depth chart, we have Nico Collins and Robert Woods as your one and two wide receiver, your two receivers on the outside uh, Tank Dell and Noah Brown are actually listed as uh, three and four. And John Machi is basically your number three receiver on one of your sides. That That's fallen down. He's on there with Xavier Hutchinson. Uh, you know, you can understand that, you know, the progress you come back from coming back from battling leukemia, you know, to get back in the shape you need to be in, to get back in the rhythm you need to be in. It's understandable it could take time. But I think by where he's placed right now, I wouldn't count on this season him being a major factor. Hopefully he will be. Hopefully he battles back. He continues to grow. Hopefully he will come back and be a big part of it. But I would say right now when you're looking at John Maitre, I would put expectations a little bit lower. This is all based off of just the fact that he's low on a depth chart. I get it. Tank Dell, I'm very excited to see what he does. Uh, D'Amico Ryans was talking big about that. Robert Woods, we will see if he's able to – uh, play at a higher level, or if they put him at number one and he's not able to. It's going to be interesting to see how teams defend him and Nico Collins if that is the two wide receivers you're sticking out there. Uh, and then you have uh, Dalton uh, Dalton Schultz as your tight end and how much they uh, put emphasis on him because he's probably the most proven receiver that the, the Texans have. Uh, another note on this chart, Juice Scruggs, the rookie they drafted at center, is listed as the starting center giving you your uh, starting low line of Laramie Tunsil, Kenyon Green, Juice Scruggs, Shaq Mason, and Titus Howard. A amazing, amazing all-name team. Laramie, Kenyon, Juice, Shaq, and Titus is a fantastic all-name team for your O-line. I know Titus Howard has been dealing with a hand injury, uh, but he is still listed as your uh, number one uh, starter at right tackle. Will Anderson is listed as well to get the start. A pretty young defensive starting lineup. Uh, we see uh, Blake Cashman. He started one game last year, played in 16 games, only starts one. He is getting the start at the uh, strong side linebacker. We will see Christian Harris, the young man, uh, 22 years old, is playing at the weak side linebacker, and Perryman at the Mike linebacker as well. I, I think there's some interesting things, and Steven Sims is going to be your kick and punt returner, a uh, guy who did it for a couple years in Washington, and then I believe he went to the Steelers last year is coming over to the Texans to see if he is able to do that. They do not have Tank Dell. They have Tank Dell as the third-string punt returner. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they give him any carries at punt returner as well. It's time now, before we go to break, let's introduce the Big Fat Poll of the Day. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. All right, so we have heard the story all day today. Kevin Brown the play-by-play and studio announcer for the Baltimore Orioles uh, reportedly suspended indefinitely for basically just stating straight-up facts that the Orioles have sucked for many years at uh, bowl playing in Tampa Bay. There's nothing crazy about that. Who didn't know the Orioles? Like, you have the number one pick. You can't celebrate the number one pick and not say you sucked last year. Look, I'm a Spurs fan. I'll tell you we sucked last year, and I'll tell you we didn't tank either. We just had a down year. We had a down year, but we'll be back next this next year. But we see that Kevin Brown gets suspended indefinitely. Everybody unequivocally has come out and said this is ridiculous. That ownership is so thin-skinned that they said, hey, we don't want you saying anything negative about our team. We're finally good. We're the number one team in the American League. You can't be saying those things. Trying to put a distraction, overshadow your young team. Today's poll of the day with the Angelos, Peter Angelo, 
the owner of the Orioles, getting up in this conversation. Who is the worst owner in American sports today? I'm trying to keep it to America. I'm sure there are some terrible owners overseas. We'll try and keep it to American sports, NBA, MLB, NFL, uh, NHL. Maybe if you have another one, a smaller one, that is just a terrible owner. And I want it, I want it current owners. So no Dan Snyder, no Marge Schott, no Donald Sterling. Who is your worst owner in American sports today? Text us in. 512-337-3776 is the number. Yesterday's poll on who had the greatest sports debut ever was a pretty big landslide for Wilt Chamberlain, who dominated uh, in his beginning uh, days in the Philadelphia Warriors. Uh, that was an amazing one. Thanks for everybody's participation on that one yesterday. But join us on the Specs Tax line, 512-337-3776. Who is the worst owner, the worst owner in American sports today? That is... Patrick's big fat poll of the day. We come back. We're going to play a little clip from earlier in the day. Ian Robbie talked to Peter Pete Fiotic, uh, the publisher of College Football News. It was a really good uh, discussion this morning, talking some college football. We'll be talking about that coming back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back on the Sports Complex, our musical theme of the week. Best debuts in music history, and uh, this is the Ramones, their debut. Probably one of their biggest hits, too. Let's Greek Bob for the Ramones. Uh, we'll be playing those all throughout the week until we get to Friday, and then we'll keep doing 512 Friday. But we're trying some things as we kick off the first week, the debut week of the Sports Complex. We are going to try out some different things as we keep going. We love your feedback on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Got a lot of great comments so far of the worst owner in sports today. Some of you are going, I can tell past, I saw Bud Adams in there, and I agree. I know, And I know, I get it. I get he's not a current owner, but man, I get it. I fully understand the hatred to Bud Adams. I do, I get it. So uh, keep sitting those, 512-337-3776. Patrick's big fat poll of the day. Uh, we'll take those answers, take some of the best, put them up on social media, Twitter and Instagram on the Horns page, and everybody can vote for the worst owner in American sports today. You know, kind of in honor of Kevin Brown, who was suspended for doing nothing wrong at all and a thin-skinned billionaire trying to ruin his day, uh, the owner of the Orioles, the Peter Angelos, I believe is his name. Uh, we will get to those answers. I do want to play something from the morning show, a uh, really good interview from this morning. Uh, they had uh, Ian Rodby had on Peter F Pete Futick. He's uh, a publisher of collegefootballnews.com. They talked about a lot of different topics in college football. So let's listen to that interview. We'll come back, and then we will talk a little bit more about the worst owners in American sports history. Let's go to the Vaqueros Hotline, talk some college football on our Horn Top 20 with uh, one of our faves. He's the publisher of collegefootballnews.com. Uh, he is Pete Futak. Pete, how are you, man? Yes, the pro football focus that loved Marcus Mariota is possibly the greatest pro prospect quarterback they've ever seen. So, I, I look, I live in Chicago. I experienced Mitchell Trubisky. I, the North Carolina quarterback thing is nice. Drake May is awesome. But, come on. No. C Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in college football. The you take Caleb Williams off that team, and they were good. They certainly weren't in the in the college football playoff hunt good. But uh, plus, yeah, so going into the season, yeah, North Carolina, to jump on what you were talking about, May's great. I mean, that's why they're in the top 20, but they still don't have a defense. Mm. So they're very good, but they're there because the voters know who Drake May is. 
Yes, and they open with South Carolina, which would be a great game to start the season in 23 days. That game in Charlotte, uh, South Carolina finished where where North Carolina finished with four straight losses. South Carolina finished great last year with wins over Clemson, and I think mm-hmm. uh, who else did they beat late last year? Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. got to beat Tennessee down the stretch. Yeah, they screwed which, up. They, they completely screwed up two uh, college football players because if Clemson doesn't collapse to South Carolina. They end up beating North Carolina, and they're in the college football playoff instead of Ohio State. And Tennessee, if they didn't get their you know, doors rocked by uh, uh, that in that game, uh, they would have had kind of the theoretical argument that that was probably a team deserving of the top four. So, uh, yeah, South Carolina messed up a couple of a couple of big teams last year. They're an interesting mm. team to watch. Pete Futek is with us in uh, defense. The question for Mac Brown's team off a nine-win team. Uh, what what do you think their ceiling is? As we had them at number nineteen in our countdown, Pete. Uh, their ceiling is to get to the ACC championship and lose badly, like because that's kind of what they do. Uh, <laughs> that's what Mac Brown does. The, the thing about the, <laughs> well, you know what, Mac Brown. I mean, he's been great. I mean, look, he's been able to restore the glory, but there's all sorts of crazy fun stats about. You know what the the record under Mac Brown was compared to say like Herm Edwards for a long stretch there, and Herm Edwards ended up getting canned, and Mac Brown is still Mac Brown, but he's been good. But there's there's a hard ceiling on where this team is being able to go. But Clemson's the star of the ACC. Florida State's right behind that. I think Pitt is kind of the most dangerous team lurking behind those top two, and in an ACC without divisions, and it's just the top two teams. Clemson, Florida State are probably going to play twice. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Florida State. I'm glad that's a nice little segue there. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about Florida State and some of the decision makers and realignment and what they want to do. Uh, what are your thoughts about Florida State? <laughs> I mean, they may have some of the best overall talent in the country right now, um, just kind of looking at that roster. Uh, what are your thoughts about how far Florida State can take it this year? Yeah, a couple of problems with all that. First of all, they might be screaming and yelling, but they're stuck in this grant of rights deal through 2036. <laughs> so unless they want to pony up about $135 million, which is possible, Texas and Oklahoma did it mm-hmm. to get out a year early from uh, the Big 12. So that, or unless someone can find a loophole, they're sort of stuck you know, in the ACC, and they're just kind of complaining to try to get more money right now. But talent-wise, they're there. You're right. They're very good. The problem is, They've got a ton of talent, and Clemson has more. That Clemson defensive front, they've got more than – they've got about five different guys who should go in the top 50 of the NFL draft coming up. So they, that Clemson thing is going to be more dangerous. The problem with the Tigers, they still have to make sure they got a wide receiver who can catch the deep ball, and they could use another corner. They don't use the transfer portal. So Florida State's got to be able to take advantage of that early. They get, but the problem with Florida State is they start with LSU and they go to and they have to go to Clemson. They might start the year two and two, and they still have a bunch of quirky uh, games to go. They still have to go to Pitt, and that's in November. And if it's snowing, the guys from Tallahassee probably aren't going to like that. And then they still got to deal with the, uh, the finishing kick game against Florida. So. I, I like them. I kind of see them more eight and four ish as opposed to being this eleven and one team that could be on the outside right in the mix of the college football playoff. No question. Pete Fiutak is with us. ACC. I don't say loaded, but they do, do have two top ten teams in the preseason coaches poll with that Clemson team, co- quarterbacked by a, a local product here from Austin, Cade Klubnick, uh, there at Clemson, and then yep. uh, Florida State, uh, Pittsburgh. Always kind of a sleeper team for Pat Narduzzi. Uh, North Carolina, can they find some defense to go with Drake May? Uh, Pete, real quick, I saw a tweet from your uh, from your Twitter handle, which, by the way, uh, is at Pete Futak, and that is, is spelled uh, F-I-U-T-A-K, uh, is where you'll find Pete. But uh, you, you had a tweet about the ACC and not doing its job if they don't look into Stanford and Cal now that the uh, big the Pac-12 has fallen apart completely. They're down to four teams. And, um, you know, what do you make of, of that? Can the ACC try to appease some of their membership and add some more revenue by going west? Is that something you think is actually feasible? It's possible, if, but they're going to have to do some hard work to get there. But that's kind of where things are going. I mean, look. In the read-the-room category, everyone's yelling at the Pac-12 uh, for not being forward-thinking enough, and now they're done. And so the ACC, what they're doing is either 
they can get Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State, and open up a, a Western branch of the ACC, which is what the Big Ten's doing with its Pac-12 gets, which is the way you need to do things. You need to expand the footprint. You need to expand you know, the markets. You need to get the, uh, first of all, the base, the eyeballs, and the student bodies who can look nationally a little bit better. And this would accomplish all of that. And you, you kind of forget lost in all this of the academic side, which is what makes the college presidents happy. And so the conference of Duke and Wake Forest and Virginia and Miami and all those great academic institutions, if you're at a Stanford, the number one ranked FBS school by uh, U.S. News and World Report and Cal, which I believe is ninth among all 133 FBS schools, all of a sudden you've got a pretty good thing there and the Bay Area, which I know nobody there really cares about college athletics, but look at the big team getting Rutgers. It's about markets. And you get a little bit something else with Washington State and Oregon State with two rabid fan bases who are going to be loving the fact that they're in something like this. So it would be a fantastic move if they could figure out how to pull this off. Does make a lot of sense. It's a long way with the Atlantic Coast Conference with two schools on the Pacific Coast, but that's college football these days and college athletics and the academic things certainly line up. Hey, Pete, while we have you, you, you get your good thumbnail on the ACC. Yesterday we talked Texas Tech at number 20 at the back end of our top 20 countdown. Texas Tech Red Raiders with their quarterback back in the Big 12. Uh, what do you make of, uh, of Get Your Guns Up? Are they a team to watch with uh, Joey McGuire in year two? Absolutely. That is a fun team. Everything is in place. Uh, I am a huge Tyler Shug fan. I, I, he's one of those guys who kind of along with DJ Uyunglele, if you're looking for who's this year's possible Joe Burrow, who's that guy who, you know, has been kind of lurking, uh, pretty good, but has all the tools where if it all comes together, the scouts are going to be like, wait a minute, there's a guy with everything a number one overall draft pick should have. Obviously, everyone's in love with Caleb Williams, and obviously everyone's in love with Drake May. Uh, but in terms of just the raw tools, I'm going to show it. And they've got that offense that can absolutely light things up. The problem, however, even before all the expansion kicks in, is look from top to the bottom of the Big 12. Where is your free space game? You don't have, like, a Stanford. You don't have a Northwestern. You don't have – I mean, West Virginia, if that's your, maybe your worst team, who else? Kansas? I mean, maybe Iowa State is a lot better, even without Hunter Deckers. I mean, so the, the well, Texas Tech is very, very good. So is everyone else. So, uh, but that is one of those teams that absolutely, you know, can come in the season and think that if you look at the history of Texas Tech, there's not a lot there there in terms of ever winning anything. This might be the year where they can kind of break through. I'm not going to say they're going to be teased to you, but they can certainly be right up there with Texas and maybe Oklahoma if they turn things around to be right in the mix for uh, at least to get to the Big 12 championship. Hey, Pete, one of the programs has gotten a lot of hype in the offseason, some good, some bad, Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, In our our, uh, neck of the woods, people talk a lot about the Aggies these days, especially with the hiring of Bobby Petrino. What are your thoughts about how Petrino will affect that offense, and what are your thoughts about how the Aggies are going to finish in the SEC? And that's got to be everything. Look, it worked for a while. The the, the controlled tempo, slow-and-go offense, in 2020, it should have gotten into the college football playoffs. They probably deserved it more than Notre Dame did. Uh, but obviously, it's just stagnant because when it doesn't work, their problem was if the other side could get to about 20 points, they had a hard time keeping up the pace more often than not. And now, at least the offense is going to have a whole lot more you know, better-paced offense, and they've got the guys. Now, all those great recruiting classes of recent vintage hasn't, haven't come through yet, but They've got enough talent on the lines. They've got enough talent everywhere else. But the key is going to be, and the, the question last year, and it's still there, where are the proven skill players? Where are the deep guys, you know, deep bench of guys who can uh, really crank up that attack? And then the other problem, kind of like I just mentioned with the Big 12, where's your, where's your, you know, your easy game? Where's your free space game in the SEC West this season? Because there isn't one. So, look, it, it's a, it's a, it stinks to live in the SEC West. Because that's probably a nine to ten-ish win team that's going to have to battle to get to you know eight wins with this schedule they got. He is Pete Futak. We'd be uh, remiss if we didn't ask about Texas. Uh, They're picked to win the Big Twelve by the media. We were calling it the All Gas No Excuses year for Steve Sarkeesian. Nice. Seems to have all the pieces, all <laughs> the pieces, and uh, uh, Quinn Ewers has to play well at quarterback. What's your What's your opinion of Texas? Yeah, you, you, you nailed it with your line there. Mine is it's an 11-win team in a 9-win body. It's, <laughs> it's there. 
they, they've <laughs> got everything is right. There's no real excuse. You know, Texas and USC are kind of in the same boat where they're better than everyone. They have more talent than everyone. That's the team that should be 11-1 and and playing in the conference championship uh, with a shot to go to the college football playoff. And they were close last year. I mean, it kind of gets lost in how, you know, the season ended up. That, that they were Even the losses, they were right there. I mean, they should have beaten Alabama. They were really close in the other games. And now they just have to make that one extra little step and start winning all those close games. So, uh, at the very least, let me put it this way, in a loaded Big 12 with, with everyone pretty good, including the newbies, uh, put te- Texas, you, they're kind of the team that's going to be in the Big 12 championship and then find that other team. It's just a question of whether they get there with uh, one loss or not with a chance of the college football playoff. Pete, always appreciate it. It's good to hear you. We'll do it again on our way to number one. Uh, always great analysis, and appreciate you jumping on with us. Appreciate you. Uh, am, I, am I jumping ahead and saying you have Georgia number one? Uh, I should. <laughs> we probably should. <laughs> I think we do. That's not for 20 more shows. There. There's Georgia... There's Georgia and everyone else this year, but uh, yes, this will be. This should be a fun season, no matter what. You don't like Michigan to uh, potentially be able to uh, dethrone Georgia, or yeah, maybe. I mean, because remember, there, Ohio State, no, old Noah Ruggles hits that kick straight, and Ohio State's winning the national championship last year, not Georgia. So it's possible, but Georgia talent-wise, yeah, Georgia's just. Ridiculous. Different level. Hey, Pete Futak, F-I-U-T-A-K is how you find him on Twitter, at Pete Futak. The College Football News, which is part of the SI Media Group, is a great website for college football junkies like a lot of you out there, and we are for sure. Thank you, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Anytime, guys. Have a good one. There you go from Ian Robbie this morning. You can hear him every morning, 6 to 11 a.m. right here on the horn and we're going to be right back giving some of your answers you gave us on the text line, 512-337-3776 to text the Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day. Who is the worst owner in American sports today? We got some of your answers. We'll give them back to you, and we'll start to put together our list that we're going to put up for the poll right here on the Sports Complex on the Horn. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back on the Sports Complex on the Horn, playing some songs that are debut hits, debut singles from some of the best bands in the world. Of course, Creep with Radiohead, or Radiohead with Creep, I'll say it the right way. Uh, We got a lot of great answers from you guys of uh, who is the worst owner in sports today. We're talking about a Kevin Brown, the Orioles play-by-play guy, uh, has been suspended indefinitely for apparently just saying that... uh, that they were that the Orioles were not historically good in the last few years at uh, in Tampa Bay, which in all reality it would assume it seems like the Orioles were not very good anywhere. I don't know how many t- did they go into them. They're like, hey man, could you just lie to the people because we want them to pretend thin-skinned owners, thin-skinned owners. I don't get it. I we've guys got some good text in though. I I do appreciate your uh, your your. Uh, Joining in with me here and joining in the fun. Uh, 512-337-3776 is the Specs text line. We got some names. Uh, Bob Nutting, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, the, the Pirates have been, historically, they're one of the many teams in MLB that MLB has these owners that are basically, they're all the guys who go, we're we're very rich, and we but we're not rich enough to compete because we don't have an endless bank account. So instead of selling the team to someone who could, we just prefer that you make the rules so the game is worse for everybody and the players all make less money so that we can make more money. That would be perfect for us. And we're just going to hold a team franchise. We're just going to hold a franchise hostage until you do that. Uh, that's easy. Man, it's Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling, no longer an owner, was out. But, yes, he is definitely on the list of the worst owners of all time for sure. Bud Adams, uh, I know you said it must be current, but we could dig him up again. Just give him the award and then shoot him again. You know what? I'm not opposed to that. We can look and we can throw in Bud Adams' kids because Bud Adams' kids are the ones who thought it was a good idea to wear Oilers stuff against the Texans in Houston. That that's they thought that. So how about we uh, we throw in the Adams' kids uh, that just inherited a franchise and are are dancing on dancing on the the graves of so many great Oilers fans. Uh, the owner of the Oakland A's that is uh, John Fisher. I believe he's got his money from the Gap. Yeah, he is a pretty awful 
uh, owner just ruining the team. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, I got some sound from Bruce Bochy talking about how it is to play in Oakland and having to whisper in the dugout because uh, anybody can hear what you're saying. Uh, Tillman Fertitta from the Rockets. He's only owned it since 2017. I- I'll give him uh, a hope that he's going to turn it around now. He's not been good so far. So far, he's he's on the negative list and he's headed downhill. But uh, I'll, I'll give him that there's, uh, there's hope. I will give that there is hope there. Uh, all the Green Bay residents, this texter says, each and every one suck, and that's from a Bears fan. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to make the list. I don't think they're going to make the list, but I understand. I understand your hatred. Uh, we get Jerry Jones and Jim Ursay both on the list. We know Jerry Jones. He He's not. He's not one of the worst owners in sports. He's one of the most frustrating. The question is, who's one of the most frustrating uh, who's the most frustrating owner in sports today than it is Jerry Jones? I think frustrating-wise, because he just keeps saying dumb stuff. But I, I won't give him that he is uh, the worst. And Jim Irsay, he, he, you know, he's he's won titles, so I can't give it to him either. Uh, we Jerry Jones, Jim Crane, and Mark Cuban. I, I don't get the hate on Jim Crane. I get he can't. He's not going to spend all the money, but he's he's brought he's brought the Astros some titles, so I'll give him. And Mark Cuban, I won't give it to him either. But he he I can understand why people are not a fan of Mark Cuban. Hal Steinbrenner. A lot of people in in New York believe in that right now. Didn't make any big moves at the trade deadline. And uh, we have Mark Davis. Al Davis should have given up Mark for adoption in those, <laughs> those give-the-baby-up boxes in the local fire departments. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if i go that far, but Mark Davis has uh, not helped out the Raiders. And uh, hiring John Gruden and uh, then hiring uh, Josh McDaniels, two of the most baffling hires. I cannot believe that. Do fantasy football owners count? No. No, they do not count, uh, but there's plenty of them. Dan Snyder, not on our list because he's not a current owner. And Michael Jordan, not on our list because he's not a current owner, but both are terrible suggestions. I like them. I like them because they both are ter- were terrible owners, but they have both just sold their team, so they, they're now off our list. Uh, so right now we've got a, on our list Mark Davis from the Raiders and Bob Nutting from the Pirates, John Fisher from the A's, Tillman Fertitta from the Rockets, Jerry Jones from the Cowboys, Jim Irsay from the Colts, a lot of football teams in here, Hal Steinbrenner from the Yankees, I think we got some more out there. I'll do some of my research. You guys do yours. Join us back. We're going to talk about UT football. I've got some sound from Sark. I've got some sound from some other uh, contributors. And uh, a little bit more Kool-Aid drinking. We'll give you a little bit more sugar for that Kool-Aid. We come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 1019 AM 1260, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.